about a year and a half ago, uh, I was in Oaxaca, Mexico, and uh, and our mission, Audio Scripture Ministries, there in the lower right-hand corner, asked me to consider being the director of our mission. And I thought, wow, that'd be, yeah, I, I could, you know, I'll pray about it. I, I could do that, I think. He said, well, you have to move to Holland, Michigan, though. I'm an Ohio guy. I grew up in Independence. I went to Akron University before they had a baseball stadium there on Exchange Street. Back when it was, uh, we had these, like these old Quonset huts for, <laughs> for buildings. <laughs> and the tuition wasn't very high either. But um, I'm from this area, and, uh, and I would love to be in Ohio, but God has a sense of humor. He sent me to Michigan. I have to drive through Ann Arbor, Michigan, and East Lansing, Michigan, to get to Holland, where I live. And it's like, what? What's going on here? He's taught me to love Michiganders. Love your enemies. That's what the scriptures tell us. Yeah, yeah. Your focus has been on missions. Missions. Isn't that what missionaries do? No. That's what we all do. What John Piper said in that that short minute and a half video, we could talk about for weeks, sermon after sermon after sermon. We belong to God. He made us. He chose us. He's called us children of God. If we live, we live in the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or, or whether we die, we are the Lord's, Romans 14, 18. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your bodies. 1 Corinthians seven twenty three says, God paid a high price for you. Don't be enslaved to this world. What price did Jesus pay for us? He sent his son who had to die. That's all. Sent his son, he had to be tortured and die for the sins of the world. You and I exist for him. We exist for him. We're in the family of God. But we're also in the army of God. What do soldiers do? Anybody know? Fight and go to battle. And some die. He's equipped us. He's gifted us. He's gifted every one of you in some way. I don't know what those gifts are, but you, sh- you probably should know. He's empowered us. But why has he empowered us? So that we can be his witnesses. So that we can continue carrying on this pursuit of reaching the world with the gospel. He has a purpose for every one of us. It's more than just going to church. I love going to church. I love to praise. I love being here. But this isn't the Christian life. The Christian life is when you leave the doors. Some churches actually have a sign outside that says, welcome to the mission field, right before you pull out of the parking lot. Piper also said something about a wasted life, an unwasted life, he's called it. He wrote a book called A Wasted Life. Anybody, has anybody read the book A Wasted Life? Or Don't Waste Your Life, it's called. Wonderful book. An unwasted life is the life that puts Christ on display as supremely valuable. Well, 
what does it mean to waste your life? We probably, none of us think that we're wasting our lives right now, but I have eight different, uh, eight different ways that we can tell if our life is being wasted. For example, we might say, well, eh, it's good, en- good enough has become the new standard. You don't try hard anymore. You don't try new things anymore. You're merely content with the status quo. Number two, you think work is the only thing that matters. Work, it's just work. Work, work is the thing that matters. Most adults spend the majority of their waking hours working. What about spending time with friends and family, ministry, going to, reading your Bible, enjoying your hobbies? Work to live. Don't live to work. You're always chasing the latest toy. In the technological age, I love the technological age. I have a watch that I can actually talk on the phone with. I, I, my, my phone, my cell phone allows me, this is an Android, but it's $35 for this little phone. It's got an altimeter, it's got a thermometer. I love it because it helps me. But do we want to chase every latest toy? Probably not. Along with cell phones and, and watches and luxury cars and clothes and whatever. If the latest toy makes you a more effective Christian, I say go for it. Those scooters that we saw, those, are, um, those aren't latest, the latest toy for those pastors in Thailand. Those will scoot around. If you've ever been to Thailand, people are driving all over the place. They are insane. I've been there. And a little scooter just gets you around off the side roads and, and out of the traffic. It's a wonderful toy, we might say, and can be effective for our ministry. You're wasting your life if television is your best friend. The news, ESPN, showing the same sporting events over and over and over again. The average American spends 30 hours a week watching TV. That's four hours a day. 30 hours, you know, we have a recorded New Testament in English on this Bible. It's only 18 hours. With 30 extra hours, I can listen to this more than once every week. I can listen through the New Testament 52 times in one year. Or I can watch TV for 30 hours a week. You often escape into a fantasy world. If you want to waste your time, do that. You should never replace living with mere fantasizing. Live your dreams. Live what God's called you to to do. You always have a reason not to take action. There's always an excuse Remember that inaction gets you nowhere in life except to, to a place filled with regret, saying, I should have, I should have. You often find yourself reliving the past. The Israelites did that. They said, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. Why would they want to go back to Egypt? They're in the desert, God's providing for them, but yet they want to go back to Egypt. The good old days. No, the good old days aren't so good. You let others tell you how to live. The choice is yours. Today can be the start of a new adventure for you. Don't waste your life. Make this next chapter count. 
And you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done up to now. Make this next chapter count in your life for eternal consequences, for eternal significance. Don't waste your life. Live in such a way that people will see that Christ is the most important and the most precious thing in your life. What's the main purpose of mankind? The Westminster Catechism tells us. What, does anybody know it? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I know what the first part means. I just have no idea what that second part means, enjoy him forever. Well, I guess that we will enjoy him forever in heaven. But for now, we are here to glorify God. Paul understood that what we do either glorifies God, glorifies ourselves, or brings shame to his name. So when he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, yeah, that's what he's saying. Do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That means that whatever you do, whether you serve, you pray, you give, we must keep in mind that the purpose is to glorify God. Paul was consumed by this desire to glorify God. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And he said that until, Paul, until he was killed. And Jesus said, Let your lights shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If we bring glory to God, we won't be wasting our lives. Never will we be wasting our lives because we'll be doing exactly what we've been put here to do, to glorify God. John Piper also said that a God-centered theology is a mission theology, missionary theology. What does that mean, a missionary theology? Well, what did Jesus say? He was with Zacchaeus. He invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. I don't think he's a believer at this time, but he wanted to, he was a short guy, he climbs up a tree. Jesus says, I'm going to your house now. So Jesus is there with a bunch of tax collectors and a bunch of heathens, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give, I've, he's in his mind, he's saying, I've cheated people. I'm going to give four times what I've cheated them, four times the quantity back. And Jesus says, salvation's come to this house today. <laughs> salvation's come. You guy, you are putting your money where your mouth is. You are giving the money back that you stole. And Jesus says later on in Luke 19, 10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. He came with the purpose of dying for our sins, for all mankind, for past, present, and future sins. He came to restore this relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden from the very beginning. He came to reconcile us. He had a ministry of reconciliation. Interesting, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. New life has begun. Then he says in verse 18, And all of this is a gift of God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And then he says, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. 
We are Christians, but we're also in the ministry of seeing people reconciled back to God. What is that called? Missions. That's missions. We're reconciling people back to God. John Piper also said that there are three kinds of Christians who come who, who, when it comes to missions. The zealous giver, the zealous goer, and the disobedient. Wow. So, what's he implying there? He's implying that maybe all Christians need to be involved in missions. That if you're not involved in missions, you're disobedient. Step on your toes? I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I heard that for the first time. I said, whoa. That's, I mean, he's not here. He was, <laughs> he was on for a minute and a half, and he's out of here. But I'm here now. And so as I'm talking about this, you can throw the tomatoes at me now. Hooray. Zealous givers and zealous goers. Yeah, that, that term zealous. You know, there was a zealot in the, in the Bible. I think they took the zealots and they, and they killed them because they were zealots. They were zealous against the government. But zealous, you can also say, are fanatics. They're like crazy about giving and going. We also have to talk about praying, though, too. You know, we have uh, short-term trips down to Oaxaca, Mexico. They are called demolition trips. You know, you've been on a construction trip. Have you ever been on a construction trip? What do you do on a construction trip? You build something. You build a church. You, you lay a floor. You put a, a roof on a building. A demolition trip. We tear down strongholds. We're going into enemy territory where there are no believers, where there are, is no church, where the gospel has not penetrated. And we are praying for people, praying for men of peace to come forward, praying for those those divine contacts, those divine appointments. And we're, and we're looking to, to pray to, to allow the God to, to start his work there. The Holy Spirit can work in the hearts of people. When we say that missions is what missionaries do, we might as well say that, well, running the church is what the pastor does. He preaches, he sweeps, he greets, he, uh, he takes up the chairs after the service, he cuts the grass, he does everything. No, he doesn't. He shouldn't. He's here to, to, to train up people for the works of ministry. Or we could say, well, an army? Yeah, the general, that's, he's there to fight. If General MacArthur would have been the only guy fighting in World War II, I think we'd either be speaking Japanese or German today. Because it took a whole army. And that's what it takes from us. It takes a whole army to reach the world for Christ. What does the Bible say about missions? The concept of cross-cultural missions started way back in the Old Testament, not in the, not in the New Testament. Isaiah said, here I am, send me! The psalmist declare, he wrote, declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. De- whose glory? God's glory. Among the heathen, those that don't know him yet. 
Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen. From First Chronicles. Then Jesus, with all these, the verses, it should be Matthew, we have Matthew 28 coming up on the screen. Go therefore, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. This verse is, is, is translated, go therefore. It really should be translated as you go. It's assuming that you're going to look at this and say, well, yeah, I need to go. And as I go, I need to teach, I need to baptize, and I need to observe all these things, whatever, whatever has been commanded of me. Mark 16, 15 tells us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's talking about men and women. He's not talking about animals, things, other things. He's talking about men and women, I'm sure. And, that re- and then in Luke, he says, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, among all ethnic groups, every ethnic group. Nations doesn't refer to countries. It refers to ethnic groups. There are about 16,000 ethnic groups around the world. And then in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Where? Jer- Jerusalem. Stowe. Judea, Ohio, Samaria, United States, uttermost parts of the earth, uttermost parts of the earth, to the end, to the very end. Anyway, in today's travel, you, you travel all day long and you get to a point, you're still not to the ends of the earth. You're close, though. Should all Christians be involved in foreign missions? Yes. Yes. Because we have... We've been brought into God's family. We don't want to waste our lives except in glorifying God in everything we do. We're his ambassadors. And we've been commanded, we've been commanded to go. Foreign missions, unreached people groups. Wow. That must be part of every Christian's DNA. Piper said that we're also part of the consumer generation. It's the consumer culture. We look for comfort. We look for security. We look for ease. We look for safety. We look for the path of least resistance. So we stay away from trouble. We stay away from danger, stress. And then he says, it should be the exact opposite. I know, he, he yelled that. He goes on in one of his books, he says, don't live a safe life. Risk is right. We just happen to be born and happen to be living in a country where we have limited persecution at this time. We don't like all the laws that have been passed. We don't like... We might be laughed at at times. We might, we might be spoken to because we witness to somebody. But by and large, we are not persecuted for our faith. Yet, 
there might come a day. There might come a day that we have to live at risk. I've got friends in Oaxaca, Mexico, who have lost their brothers and sisters to martyrdom. You saw the map of Oaxaca. You saw the map of Mexico. We're not talking about the Middle East. We're not talking about Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia. We're talking about southern Mexico, where Oaxaca is. It's 900 miles from Brownsville, Texas. There's persecution now among people groups in Oaxaca, Mexico. They have to live at risk. We don't have to live at risk. But what's our posture about all that? You say, wow, you got persecuted. Wow, sucks to be you. Really? And I'm glad that bombs aren't going, out out, going on outside. I'm glad that we're not, that we don't have to suffer persecution all our lives. I met a, a pastor in a seminary class. He was from Nigeria. He said, he said, there are Muslim people that want to burn down our church. What should we do? So, well, he said, well, let me, there's one more point of this. There's Muslim people that want to burn down our church when we're inside. They want us dead. What do we do? Turn the other cheek? What do we do? What's our posture? There are Christians all over the world that can't play it safe because they don't live in a place where their faith is accepted. You know, there are 100,000 Christians that, are na- that now die every year. And the reason they're targeted is because of their faith. That's 11 people that die every hour. Okay, we started church at 10.30. The last hour, 11 people were martyred. They say that the hostility to religion reached a new high in 2012. There's discrimination in 139 countries, almost three-quarters of the world's nation. Three-quarters of the world's nations are suffering persecution or discrimination. The plain fact is that Christians are languishing in jail for blasphemy in Pakistan, and churches are burned and worshipers regularly slaughtered in Nigeria and Egypt, which has recently seen its worst anti-Christian violence in seven centuries. The most violent anti-Christian activity in the early 21st century saw as many as 500 Christians hacked to death by machete-wielding Hindu radicals in Orissa, India, with thousands more injured and 50,000 made homeless because they're Christians. Persecution is increasing in China, North Korea, a quarter of a century, a quarter of the country's Christians live in forced labor camps after refusing to join the national cult of the state's founder. 
There are also problems in Somalia, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and the Maldives, all featured in the top 10 worst places to be a Christian. Wow. They're uh, living at risk. So what should be our attitude towards them? We should pray for them. We should give financially to them. We should be empathetic to them if we can. We should go and help them. It's our responsibilities as Christians. As, our, as a Christian, it is our responsibility. It's hitting home for me a little bit because my son and daughter-in-law are going to a Middle Eastern country in 2017 to work among uh, some people that don't really like Christianity. And, you know, it's bad enough that they're going, but they're taking my two little grandsons with them. One of them's not even born yet. He'll be born in September, and then he's leaving when he's about a year old to go with his parents. Risk. That's the way life is. And, you know, most people that live in persecuted countries don't, don't whine about it. They say, you know, we pray that you might have persecution someday because this has made us strong. I go, wow, I can't believe their attitude. I, I would hope that we would have that same attitude if we were ever for, faced persecution in our face. Piper says, the need of the nations that don't know Jesus is Immeasurable. He calls it infinite. Well, it's not infinite, but it is immense. It's, it's large. It's 2.6 billion people that are unreached. And that means that there are 7,000 unreached people groups around all these nations. 7,000 unreached people groups. So each one needs to be reached on their own. You can't just go and preach the gospel to 2.6 billion people. It's 7,000 different unreached people groups that speak a distinct language, that have distinct cultures, that are focused on their religion at the present time. India, Pakistan, China, Bangladesh, Nepal are some of the key ones that with lots and lots of unreached people. And they are also non-literate. That means they don't read. And this little device plays a big part in what goes on in India and Nepal, where we have, we have outreaches, we have people on the ground. The unreached are people that don't have a translation, they don't have a church, they don't have believers. They're unreached because they live in a remote area, and they're not too friendly to, out, to the outsiders either. But even so, we're still commanded to go into all the world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The irony is that we have enough manpower and enough finances to do the task, to finish the task. There's something like 95,000, if you do the math, 95,000 evangelical Christians for every one of these unreached people groups. That means if we pooled, we said, okay, you got 95,000 Christians here, who wants to go to this unreached people group? We recruit somebody. Seems simple. But a lot of people don't want to go. So they're still unreached. Also, when it comes to the finances, 
we have the money, but sadly, the, the money isn't given to missions. Americans, of evangelical Christians, have the money. The total given to missions is the exact amount, about the same amount that we spend on dietary programs in the U.S. The money given to unreached people groups is about the same amount that we spend on Halloween costumes for our pets. And for every $100,000 that a Christian makes, $1 somehow makes it to an unreached people group for the cause of the unreached people group. And if, if every evangelical Christian gave more, gave 10% to missions, we could send another 2 million missionaries to the field. It's at our fingertips. It's at our fingertips. But what's the next step for us as, as believers? What's, what's the next step? After hearing this today, after hearing John Piper's uh, minute and a half little video there on YouTube. We belong to the family of God. We're gifted. We're equipped. God's given us the gifts that we need to minister. We want to glorify him if we're followers. We want to be reconcilers. We're called to give. We're called to go. We're called to pray. We're called to risk it all for the cause of Christ. And we know that the need is huge. I got saved in uh, 1981. And I, I wasn't really discipled, but I had a friend who helped me, and he helped me. He, he, he gave me a, a two minutes of, of advice. He said, I know you're a business guy, and you can go back to the business world. But God saved you for a reason. And you need to find out where he wants you to serve and what he wants you to do. You need to find that out. And that's how I got involved in missions. So I want to leave you with five suggestions for you today. Five suggestions from this step, from this point forward. Start praying that same prayer. If you've never prayed that prayer, where does God want me? I don't care how old you are. Where does God want me to serve? What does he want me to do? Pray that prayer. Pray that God takes you from being missions-minded, which is a wonderful thing, and pray that it moves down to your heart. Pray that you are missions-hearted. Because where my treasures are, that's where my heart is. And where my heart is leading me, that's where I'm going to put my, my energy, my money, my, my hours of free time. That's what I'm going to put it in. Pray that God gives you a missions heart. Simplify your life. If any of those things that... that, that I listed in wasting your life. If any of those things apply to you, pray about it. You know, I don't expect you to not watch TV hour for 30 hours a week, but maybe cut it back to, you know, 26 this next week. Cut it down. And get involved in missions. 
go to the Joshua Project webpage, our webpage, asmtoday.org. We have a table outside, and, and that has a bunch of literature, and it shows our webpage. There are prayer requests on there and needs around the world on those webpages. There are places to, to, to envelop your prayers. And look for opportunities in this church. There are opportunities to minister through this church, in the church and outside the church. There are migrant workers or um, immigrants around the world. Uh, the the Karen people, K-A-R-E-N, live in Akron. And there are hundreds of families there. Uh, there's a work there. There's other, other places, other people, groups that have settled in this area. The mission trip that's coming up, pray about that. Does God want me to go on that mission trip? Find your passion. What am I passionate about? We all want the Cleveland Indians to win the World Series. We all want the Cleveland Browns to, to win the Super Bowl. But really, when all is said and done, don't we want more than that? Don't we want more than that? Isn't our passion deeper than that? And after you've prayed, a guy named Paul Yonggi Cho in, in the country of Korea, and he's built his church to like a million or more people. And they asked him, Dr. Cho, how in the world did you grow your church like that? He said, we pray and then we obey. That's what we need to do. Lord, bless this church. Bless Victory Life. Thank you for the support they have in missions. Thank you for what they're doing. Thank you for what they're, what they're trying to instill through Vacation Bible School in the, among the kids here in Stowe and the surrounding area. Lord God, be with this church. Give them wisdom, Lord God. Give them a heart for missions, Lord God. Make them, make them understand the needs around the world and how they can effectively pursue your plan to reach this world for Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you.